The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series created by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Living. Presenting Book Two, The Hunt, Working for a Living, Part One, written by Steve Libby, read by Veronica Jaguer. The women's locker room rung with excited chatter. Ramona ignored the women and went to her locker at the far end of the row. Even the locker smelled sterile, like everything in this Workout Plus fitness center. Ramona had made only occasional use of the gym at Echo, until it had been rendered into a pile of girders and barbells. After the invasion and her brawl with Valkyria, she had a nagging sense that her duties would extend past the usual detective work. In other words, she was scared for her life. Under normal circumstances, she might have felt intimidated by the lithe bottle-blonde trophy wives that made up the usual clientele of a Workout Plus gym. Atlanta had it even worse, somehow, than her hometown of Boston. Strong, beautiful, self-assured, each one must have been detestable in high school. At least metahumans had an excuse for their perfect physiques. Ramona felt dumpier than usual in this corporate sweatshop. Ramona stripped out of her jacket and shirt and pulled on sweatpants. Topless, she could still find the angry bruises where Valkyria's bullet had fractured her ribs. Today would be her first workout in a month. One of the blondes looked away as she pulled a t-shirt over her head. It's wartime, honey, she thought. Deal with it. The women hushed themselves with warnings. Here she comes! An expectant silence fell over the room, leaving only dripping shower heads to echo off the tiles. Sleek with sweat, Shakti strode into Ramona's aisle, two towels divided between her pairs of hands. The clusters of women stared as she passed them. Slumming, aren't you? Ramona said, allowing the smirk to bloom on her face. Shakti's own dark face lit up with a camaraderie smile. Hello, detective. Have you just arrived? Oh, yeah. I want to get pumped up for my rematch with the Nazi dominatrix. Shakti opened her locker to reveal a nano-weave echo uniform, crisply folded, and toiletries neatly arranged beside it. Understandable. You cannot always be assured of a handy printer within reach. Ramona snorted. Had Shakti just made a joke? It would be a first in Ramona's experience. Those combat laptops make a mean club. And an expensive one. Without a hint of self-consciousness, Shakti peeled off her damp shirt, maneuvering all four arms free of the sleeves effortlessly. Nude, her body was that of a goddess, reminding Ramona of the rumor that the inhabitants of her village had worshipped her as one. The astonished stares of the other women gave her a petulant sense of pride. Shakti draped a towel over her shoulder. I have finished my routine for today, but if you wish any coaching on hand-to-hand -hand techniques, I would be happy to offer my services. Really? Wow. I mean, heck yeah, girl. Ramona held out both arms. I'm a little bit unarmed for your style. That made Shakti laugh out loud. Ramona hadn't seen this much warmth in her, ever. Forearm teachers were not exactly listed in the yellow pages. I know many conventional styles. 
Will do. She could see the metahuman was ready for her shower, but Ramona wanted to bask in her glory a little more. So, is Handsome Devil pumping iron here now? He is not. Klaus has a saying. Showing up is half the battle, and the rest will work itself out. I believe he is in the midst of his afternoon nap. Metahumans need naps? Not really. If Shakti was annoyed, she hid it well. Notify me when you are ready for some sparring. She patted Ramona's shoulder and trotted off to the showers, leaving an audience of Atlantans behind her. Ramona gave the room an offhand shrug. Office talk, she told them. Another familiar face awaited her in the weight room. Matai, easily the biggest man in the room, grunting under the leg press machine. He nodded in acknowledgment of her presence, but kept up his routine. Ramon noted that he had the machine set at 800 pounds. She waited in awed silence until he finished. He greeted her as he wiped sweat from his forehead. The Samoan dwarfed virtually every non-metahuman she had ever met. He would have looked at home as a defensive lineman. Most of his size came naturally. He lacked the definition of a conventional bodybuilder. Matai simply gave the impression that he didn't have to make any effort to remain huge. So, is this the new Echo Gem? I just saw Shakti. She handed him his water bottle. Thanks, he said after a healthy swig. Mostly Echo Ops and a few metal ones. These machines don't carry enough weight for most of the metas. She began a stretching routine. Oh, that's right. Only your brother is a meta. I keep forgetting. You Samoans look metahuman already. Matai chuckled, his round features suddenly boyish with amusement. It's the company I keep. How's your brother doing? Not good. The smile disappeared. He lost a lot of friends from R&D in the attack. I think it broke his heart. I know the feeling. Matai shook his head woefully. It's worse for him, I think. He's always been sensitive. At home, Mama would send me out to bring him to dinner. He would be out in the trees, watching a spider building a web. Sitting for hours, just watching. The soul of a poet. And a scientist. Rugby never came naturally to him. Neither does fighting. Matai paused as a pair of racquetballers passed them. Sometimes I pray to God for him to switch our places. Give me the powers. Not because I want to be a metahuman, but because he hates it. Ramona at once thought of Bill, the mountain, back in his dark hole. Yeah. I understand. Out in the field? I'm like a child among adults. Isn't that curious? But you do have a power. You're a leader. It takes a certain temperament and mindset. Quick thinking, decisiveness, alertness. They don't call you chief for nothing, right? Not if I can help it, they don't. 
Matai exhaled as he began another set of reps. Several nearby weightlifters stopped to watch. Ramona wanted to announce to them, to everyone, that Matai was no metahuman, that his strength came from good old-fashioned genes and willpower. Instead, she punched in an ambitious program on the Stairmaster and started pumping. She pedaled in silence. The whirring of the Stairmaster's gears and the rhythmic clank of Matai's leg presses provided a soundtrack to her questing thoughts about Slick. She had digested his meager dossier over the last week. News searches added little to supplement the data already in Echo's recovered database. Born in Macon, Georgia, Walter Slick had acquired his powers one night near a toxic waste dump. He had been recruited by a gang of metahuman bank robbers, the Easy Men, lorded over by a man who called himself Easy Listener, and took it upon himself to dub each of the crooks with a corny 50-style moniker. Slick hadn't suffered the indignity of his handle, Smooth Operator, for long. A string of increasingly violent solo crimes followed until a Meta One team apprehended him in 1999. Georgia law enforcement had refused to mount a search effort for him. They were already overwhelmed, and their unspoken attitude was that Slick was Echo's problem. And that's all she had to track down the only man who had heard Eisenthal's last words. Matai. She tapped the Stairmaster's power button. If you had broken out of prison, where would you go? Somewhere I could blend in. Matai relaxed his legs and exhaled. But what if your personal appearance was off-putting? Inhuman? Ah, a metahuman. Well, I suppose I would try to cross the border into Mexico. That's a bit far from Atlanta. Matai shrugged. Maybe I'd go to ground until my pursuers gave up. I'm not giving up on this guy. Law enforcement has a lot on their plates now. It would be easy to disappear. Unless your purpose is big as the mountain, he can pretty much move around at will. Ramona wiped her forehead. The Atlanta heat managed to penetrate even this soulless air-conditioned box. She imagined her sweat was the strange, oily substance that slick skin exuded. Like the mountain, he must live in perpetual horror at his own body, cut off from society at large. Except that Bill the Mountain retained a sense of ethics, as lonely as he was, essentially dead to his wife and family. A germ of an idea took root. Ramona had a sudden urge to dump a liter of 10W40 motor oil over her head. You sleuths have the tough job, Matai continued. I have no idea how you gather information and dig needles out of haystacks. I prefer field work. Five minutes and either the problem solve or I'm a red smear across the pavement. No suspense there. A slender blonde approached Ramona. Are you done? she asked, while never taking her eyes off Matai. You can have him. Some girls have to work for a living. She gave Matai a wink and bustled off to the locker room, head swirling with possibility. For the first time in days, she didn't wonder what Mercury was doing. The first thing Jack Point did when Ramona entered his office was give her a white rose. Why, thanks, Jack, she said.
Identify yourself, please, Jack Point said. His garish harlequin three-piece suit, pink gloves, and polka dot atop belied his solemn, intense scrutiny of her face. Ramona tilted her head. Jack, 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 how many times have we worked together? I can't believe you don't recognize me. You're lying, Jack said with a sad smile. Whoever you are, if we've worked together, you must be an Echo Ops detective. And female. Janine Carlson. Nope. Adrian Penn. Wrong again, buddy. Jack leaned back into his chair. The only detective cruel enough to torment the guy with prosopagnosia is... Ramona Ferrari. Ramona clapped her hands together. Brilliant deduction. Nice to see you again. She tucked the rose into her lapel. Does that help? Yes, thank you. And thank you for not lying when you say it's nice to see me again. Jack Point had relaxed from the awkwardness. It is, you freak. You always keep me entertained. My face blindness amuses you? No, the workarounds you find for it impress me. She adjusted the rose. The flower's a nice touch. Looks classier than the hello my name is badges. What do you have for me today? Ramona leaned forward over his desk with a photograph. Here's my quarry. Jack Point squinted at Walter Slick's scowling mugshot, complete with an oily black film over his skin. Now that's a face even I would remember. Metahuman. Until the attack, he was a prisoner in the security wing. He was too slippery, literally, for the Nazis to execute him. She passed him Walter Slick's dossier and pointed to an italicized section. That gunk he exudes can all but eliminate friction. With fancy footwork, he can deflect bullets. He'll be tough to recapture. I have to find him first. He's gone to ground. Jack Point shrugged. His attention wandered to an etching on his wall, a scene from Gilbert and Sullivan's The Yeoman of the Guard, featuring the jester who was his namesake. Ramona waved her hand in his face. Stay with me here, buddy. I'm in a bit of a hurry, and the courts are tied up with aftermath nonsense. Warrants and court orders are hassles I don't need. Your built-in polygraph will make interviews much more to the point. Jack Point, that's me. You bet. What kind of paperwork do I need to fill out to get you on the case? Not much. Jack Point wrote out of office on a post-it and adhered it to his computer screen. Funny how informal things have become since... Hmm. He cleared his throat. Where to? The sticks. We're paying a visit to Ma and Pa Slick. Three hours later, Ramona wished she had requisitioned a helicopter instead of one of Echo's unmarked sedans. The Atlanta traffic had gone from bad to impossible thanks to the destruction wrought on the highways. It took an extra hour to crawl through rush hour traffic. She bit her lip and resisted the urge to activate the siren that would clear a path and announce their presence to the world. Jack Point's top hat was bad enough. Fortunately, he had to doff it to fit into the car. He watched the cars creep by and glanced at his hands at regular intervals.
those gloves aren't going to change themselves, Ramona said. Hmm. You keep staring at them. Did you mean to wear the white ones? He held up his gloved hands. Ah, no, it's a mental trick. I'm usually the only person in the room with pink gloves, thus I know these hands are mine and not someone else's. Of course they're yours. You operate them, you receive tactile information from them, right? Sometimes it's not enough, Jack Point said in a quiet voice. Ramona blew air out her lips. Sorry, I guess I forgot how acute your condition is. You can't even recognize yourself? He shook his head. So, you've never really seen your own face? I was normal until I was twelve. That's the last time I saw myself. He smiled. But among neuroscientists, I'm a rock star, so it's not so bad. The most acute case of prosopagnosia in history. I go right off the charts. He chuckled. Some of them are convinced vivisecting my brain will reveal the nature of consciousness itself. I've lost count of the MRIs I've been subjected to. You could say no. They mean well, and they're very grateful. Who knows? They might learn something genuinely useful. Meanwhile, Echo has use for me as a walking polygraph. The good with the bad, Ramona said. Everything's a trade-off, he agreed, giving his hat a flip. Unsummoned, an image of Mercury entered her mind. Handsome, metahumanly strong, able to fly. What trade-off did he make for his powers? From what she knew of him, he had an idyllic existence. Maybe some folks don't come with built-in karma. It's from without, and it's probably a solid dose of misery all at once. Suddenly... She missed him terribly. Well south of Atlanta, the afternoon sun illuminated the edges of kudzu engulfed trees that formed a parade of grotesque shapes along the side of I-75. Traffic had died down as Ramona and Jack Point left behind the extended suburbs that established Atlanta's reputation as a major center for urban sprawl. A few intrepid commuters still drove their air-conditioned SUVs to their suburban palaces, their faces tight with exhaustion as Ramona zipped past them. Look at those bugs, she said. It's no wonder there haven't been any sightings of him. You think he's hiding out in the swamps? How very pulpy of him. Could it be that he's trying to scare meddling teenagers away from a hidden treasure? She chuckled. Not if he's smart. But right now he's scared and lost. Nothing in his history indicates he's much of a survivalist, so I'm betting he's lurking around Beechwood. Beechwood. Hmm. Jack Point shuffled through the papers. Born in 1974. Beechwood, Georgia. Isn't that a little... obvious? Slick's trying to have it both ways. She took the State Route 401 exit off the highway, bypassing a cluster of gas stations and truck stops. And that's how I'll catch him. They cruised through Fort Valley and Nokomis, sleepy southern towns settling down for an evening dinner. 
Ramona stopped for a quick refuel and some gritty gas station hot dogs. Jack Point settled for a honey bun and coffee. Twenty minutes later, as the sun sat in a swath of crimson, they entered the swamps of Beechwood. The tiny village had all the rustic emptiness that Ramona expected from the deep south. A handful of elegant plantation homes with peeling columns, surrounded by mobile homes and decaying shacks. The air lacked the pollution of Atlanta, but retained the thick humidity, made worse by the earthy smell of the swamp. Despite their map, it took three passes down Carter Lane to find the turnoff to the slick home. Five hundred yards through bramble and willow trees led them to a yard littered with car parts, broken appliances, and overgrown foliage. A shape peered out from a stained curtain when they pulled into the driveway and barked. So much for stealth, Jack Point said. What if he's bolting out the back door? I doubt it, but keep your eyes open. Wood groaned under their weight as they mounted the steps. Take your hat off, she told Jack. Manners. He sighed and cradled it in his arm. Ramona knocked on the frame of the screen door. She heard furtive voices within and the patter of feet. Jack Point arched an eyebrow, but she shook her head. Finally, the door opened to reveal a stout black woman in fading pink floral house dress. Her scowl dented the folds of her face. What do you want? The woman's voice was deep and husky and tired. Ramona smiled and flipped her Echo badge open. Echo Detective Ramona Ferrari, ma'am. I'm hoping you'll answer some questions for me. The woman nodded her head at Jack. Who's he? That's Jack Point. May we come in? The sigh that escaped the woman had in it decades of bitterness and resentment. Might as well she said at last. Inside the house, the flickering light of a black-and-white console television bathed the room in a dismal blue luminescence, spitting out audio from a tattered speaker. A man in his sixties slouched on a dusty sofa with a can of Coca-Cola. His face bore a look of passive acceptance, as if he had given up moving his limbs from a position of relaxation. When Ramona and Jack Point came into view, he tilted his head with a sudden distrust. Who are you? Ramona repeated her introduction as the woman leaned up against the wall and glared. The man grunted. Pull up some chairs, Ma. They ain't staying long. Don't backtalk me to guess. He made no effort to move or even emphasize his anger. The woman dragged creaky wooden chairs into the living room. Ramona feared hers would give out, but it held firm. Say a piece. The man shifted his eyes from the television to Ramona. She cleared her throat. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. I promise I'll make it painless. Her smile was lost in the darkness. We need to ask you a few questions about your son, Walter. We ain't got a son. The woman snapped. Jack turned his head towards her. Ellie's barren. We're alone, the man said. The female in the dress is lying, Jack points said without umbrage. The male on the couch is also lying.
Additionally, they are frightened of reprisal. Mr. Slick grunted and stared at Jack Point as if seeing him for the first time. Jack Point's eyes roved the room, never meeting anyone's gaze. Why, I never— The woman stomped her foot, calling me a liar in my own house. Ramona held up her hands, palms out. Ma'am, please, we know Walter's your son. Has he been here? Did he threaten you? The couple fell into angry silence broken only by the distorted bleeding of the television. Neither would speak first. The female is too ashamed to reveal the information. The male feels familial competition with the suspect and thus may betray him out of resentment. Like a walrus, Mr. Slick levered himself to his feet. You goddamn cracker freak, he said, brandishing his can of cola at Jack Point. No man talks to me like that. No man. Sit down, sir. I am carrying a firearm. Ramona interposed herself between Jack Point and Mr. Slick. Jack, for Christ's sake, don't antagonize them. We're trying to get them to cooperate. Why? I can read them like open books. Walter Slick was here at least two days ago. Jack Point stood and walked past the angry old man as if he wasn't there. He plucked a picture of a young boy off the mantle. See? Ramona marveled at Jack's perceptiveness. In the dim room, he had spotted a thumb-shaped smudge in the dust on the old picture frame. To him, she realized, objects are just as communicative as people. Cute kid. Who'd have thunk? Ramona showed the picture to the couple. Feeling nostalgic recently? Without warning, Ellie Slick spun on her heel and left the room. Her footsteps reverberated in the kitchen. That was a long time ago, Mr. Slick said into the air of the room. Twenty-five years, I'm guessing. Walter's been a metahuman since he was seventeen, correct? The man closed his eyes. What I done to bring the wrath of God on my boy, I don't know. Never fought, never drank. I looked after my wife and my boy like a man should. Ramona wagged her head when he opened his eyes again. I'm sure you did, sir. Walter wasn't a smart boy, but he worked hard at anything he put his mind to. Could have hired him at the body shop. It's a good job, Mr. Slick insisted. Honest work. Walter wasn't no criminal. Jack Point opened his mouth to speak, but Ramona silenced him with a finger. That changed, didn't it? He, he and his friends were out in the dump. I don't know why boys like to act up at that age. Don't mean nothing. He didn't come back until dawn, and that stuff covered him like he'd changed a truck's oil without a pan. Only it wouldn't come off with rags or water or detergent. Walter cried like a baby. He was so scared. Every time Ellie tried to comfort him, even put a hand on his shoulder, it just slid right off. He could barely stand. He just lay down on the floor. He pointed at the wall. Fetched up against that wall because the foundation is shifting towards the backyard. That must have been horrible. 
I pray you don't ever have to see your children like that. Why didn't you contact Echo? We have specialists to help metahumans deal with their condition. Mr. Slick shrugged. We just thought we got into some kind of industrial waste. The hospital's an hour away. Ellie kept trying to wipe it off him. I suppose we should have called someone. But after a day of worry, Walter found he could clean himself just by willing it. Put on overalls and kept the oil under his clothes. Once he did that, he stayed in his room for a week, not talking, hardly eating, just thinking. And then he left. To join the easy man. I don't know. I reckon he just wanted to hide from respectable folks until this condition worked itself out of his system. It never did. He hung his head. Ramona and Jack Point waited respectfully for the man to gather himself. When he raised his head again, tears glistened in his eyes. I suppose you've come to arrest him. That's our job, sir. Is he here? No. Mr. Slick looked at Jack Point. That's the truth. Jack Point nodded. Was he here? Ramona asked, leaning forward. Her heart raced with excitement. Three days ago. She ran a hand through her hair, both relieved and disappointed. What did he say? Ellie Slick's voice rang out in the quiet room. That's between Walter and his kin. Ain't none of your business. Ma'am, with respect, it's everyone's business. Walter may have information pertaining to the Thule Society attacks. The sooner we find him, the sooner we can act on it. The woman shook her head slowly from side to side. He didn't say nothing about no Nazis. He felt bad about what he'd done and wanted to make up for it. This would be a good start. You keep away from him. With sudden fury, Ellie Slick advanced towards Ramona with fists balled. Leave him be. He's been cursed enough already. Ramona, these people don't know the fugitive's whereabouts, but they do know his intentions, Jack Point said coolly. They are using hostility to deflect your questions. I noticed, Ramona muttered. She stood up and confronted Ellie Slick. I don't care a whit about your family drama, lady. Those Nazi bastards killed my friends right in front of me. Her voice rose in pitch. Your mama's boy witnessed the same thing, and more. If one life, one life, can be saved with what he knows, then I'll track him down like an animal through every stinking swamp in the state. I won't eat, I won't sleep, and I sure as hell won't be intimidated by a bitter old woman. Ellie Slick blinked and backed up. Ramona pursued her. Drop the mother pose. Your boy is a convicted criminal. Blame his curse if you want, but I have co-workers in far worse shape who risk their lives every day to serve and protect. We're at war, lady. If Walter is withholding information about our national security, that makes him a traitor. She paused for effect. And I don't think you raised a traitor. Damn right, Mr. Slick said. Hands over her mouth, Ellie Slick regarded Ramona with horror and sadness. 
Walter left to meet up with those thieves, she whispered. The easy men? Ellie Slick closed her eyes and wept. The easy men were disbanded a decade ago, Jack Point said. However, the female is telling the truth as best as she knows it. Thanks, Jack. But Jack Point had already started for the front door of the ramshackle home. Hey, Ramona called to his retreating back. What remains to be learned belongs to them alone. The screen door punctuated his statement, banging once, twice, as its spring worked out its energy against the crooked door frame. The bland whiteness of the laptop screen mocked her with its lack of information. Each of the five dossiers in the list ended with the same bad news. Current whereabouts. Unknown. In an act of desperation as much faith, Ramona ran the names and aliases through the FBI database, the Interpol database, the CIA, the IRS, and even the phone book. For the second time. Just in case there was a server hiccup, she told herself, even though she knew it was pointless. With the exception of Walter Slick, there was no official record on the Easy Men from the last decade. Before Slick's capture, the Easy Men had a bad run and disappeared off the radar. Ramona had spent hours cross-referencing unsolved robberies in hopes of recognizing the modus operandi of the remaining Easy Men, such as a hyperspeed snatch by Twinkletoes or an uncrackable safe cracked by Easy Listener. Nothing. Slick could be anywhere within four states by now. The easy men could be across the world. As helpless as she felt in front of the computer, it beat pounding the pavement in Atlanta. Crime had gone national, and the field had expanded to the size of an entire world. Without any records on the major databases, her search was already over. You stink, she told the laptop. Do my thinking for me. She closed it with more force than was healthy. With a pang of guilt, she reopened it. Cheery light and a logo greeted her. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. Take a nap for a while. Ramona stood, stretched, dug out a cigarette. She opened the window in spite of the air conditioning. The smoke gave her a momentary boost which faded fast, leaving only the comfort of the habitual movements. Smoking did her no good aside from putting her in a reflective state. He's in Georgia, she said aloud. Her voice functioned as an oral whiteboard. He's got to be. Why, I don't know, but I feel it. And if I'm wrong, I'm screwed anyways. She wished Mercury was listening to her. A silly urge because he hardly struck her as a deep thinker, yet in explaining Slick's movements to him, she might talk herself into some grand insight. If she hadn't been deathly allergic... She would have filled her apartment with doting cats to listen to her every word. Then again, that would make her a creepy cat lady, and her dignity was thin enough as it was. Slick was the only man in the world who had heard Eisenbaugh's final words. She remembered the German's posture as he spoke rapidly to the metahuman criminal, urgent, desperate, tensed, and waiting for a killing blow. Whatever the man had done during World War II, her mental image of him in his last moments was that of a self-sacrificing hero. It was too much to reconcile. She wanted Slick to include her in that last critical conversation. 
the humid Atlanta air crowded into her apartment, making the cluttered mess feel even more vile. Ramona knew a detective who thought best while cleaning, and prayed every day to become that person. Alas, she thought best when mournfully studying her mounting trash piles. This is why you'll never hook up with that man. You're a slob. She caught herself. Why were her thoughts drifting to Mercury like an infatuated schoolgirl? In this time of crisis, it was selfish and childish. As if to echo the admonishment, a siren commenced an aching wail nearby. The police were on their last legs, running double overtime to keep up with the looting, riots, shooting, and robberies. Atlanta had turned on itself like a wounded animal. Other cities she knew had it even worse, like Baltimore and Detroit, but it was Atlanta for which she was responsible. Her town. She put the metahuman out of her mind. Too many lives depended on her ability to suss out Slick's whereabouts and get him in an echo interrogation room. If they could hold him still. A memory came back. Southwind, the gangling, hairless, pale metahuman, dashing Valkyria into the ceiling and saving Ramona's bacon. All of the four winds, the survivors anyway, had varying degrees of telekinesis. A psychic hand could hold a greased pig far better than a physical hand. When I find Slick, I'll make sure Southwind is there for backup. After losing his partner, he'd probably appreciate a chance to be part of the solution. She ground out the cigarette. Purposefulness filled her. She remembered one very strange resource she had not considered until now. Her desk was far more chaotic than the room around it, as though it were the wellspring of all disorder. The piece of paper with the important phone number had been torn from a Vogue magazine. The unceremoniously beheaded underwear model on the other side was clear in her mind. For an hour she rooted through the drawers, working from the smallest to the file folders filled with scraps of paper and inaccurate dates. Her stomach began to claw at her in hunger and anxiety. Oh, come on! She wished with all her heart that she'd undertaken to organize her desk. Five years ago. At last, a tanned hip flashed at her from a pile of post-its. Ramona lunged at it and then laughed in triumph. She hadn't thrown it away after all. She dialed the number labeled BFH on her cell. The number rang for two solid minutes as she chewed on her fingernails. I never expected to hear from you again, Ramona. The voice was delicate, breathy, low, and carefully neutral. You knew it was me. I should have figured. It's my job. I know why you're calling, too. My prices have increased since you last used my services. A pause. I want $25,000 for the information you are going to ask me. She whistled. That's a lot of Benjamins, Benjamin. Can't Echo just write you a check? No checks. No companies. No reimbursements. I only accept real money from real human beings. If you want my information, you have to bleed for it. $25,000? For Christ's sake, I don't carry that kind of cash around, even if I had it. That's the price 
for what you need to know. I recommend that you hurry. Your bank closes in 45 minutes. Wait, how do I know? I'll call you when you have the money in hand. One hundred dollar bills, unmarked, paper bag. The line went dead. Ramona's cell rang in time with the swish of the bank's revolving doors spitting her out. She stuffed the paper bag into her purse, feeling conspicuous about holding a large portion of her life savings in a vulnerable physical form. Hello? Walk two blocks north, cross the street, half a block, and take a right into the alley next to the package store, before the sidewalk ends. Classy as always, Benjamin. The line went dead. So much for witty banter, she thought. With one hand on her purse and one hand on her holster, Ramona walked briskly down the Atlanta street. Aside from sporadic commercial zones like this, it was rare for there to be enough sidewalk for a pedestrian to get around. Men standing on the street seemed to be waiting for the next riot. Tension was in the air, and more than one bystander gave her a predatory once-over. The city really has changed, she thought. Where are these lowlifes coming from? A pair of armed guards bearing shotguns smoked cigarettes outside the package store. Ramona spied the coiled snake insignia of Black Snake, the security contractor. The men ignored her scowl as she passed them. I can't begrudge the store owners for providing for their own safety, even if it's through these scumbags. Hell, guarding package stores is all they're qualified for. Should just pay them in liquor. Trash stank up the entryway to the alley. Ramona breathed through her mouth and stepped gingerly over broken bottles. Calling Benjamin Franklin Hotline, she announced to the empty alley. Inquiring minds want to know about their futures. The alley's walls caught her words in a wash of sharp echoes. She peeked in doorways as she passed them. Hello? Anybody home? Without ceremony, a slouching figure appeared in the mouth of the alley. Two large plastic buckets one set into the other, dangled from a hand hidden by the overlong sleeves of a gray cloth greatcoat too warm for the Atlanta summer. A floppy-brimmed hat hid a pale, wrinkled face in shadow. Benjamin Franklin Hotline separated the buckets, overturned the empty one, and sat on it. When he did, his limbs settled in as though they were connected by the merest thread. He seemed to be moving through water. Money first. Nice to see you, too. Ramona opened the paper bag to reveal the sheaf of bills. There you have it. I'll be working at McDonald's when I'm 60, thanks to you. Echo pays you plenty. Drop it in the bucket. She removed it from the bag and started forward. Benjamin Franklin Hotline held up a palm. Bag two. Ramona shrugged and did as he requested. She loomed over him. Didn't bring a seat for a lady? Ask your question. I have a few. I'll answer one. 
Ramona gaped. I just paid you 25 grand. You should be writing me a goddamn novel. What the hell's happened to you? Benjamin Franklin Hotline didn't look up, but his head swayed at acknowledgement. Fair enough. I'll stop you from asking the wrong question. Christ. Fine, Mr. Genie from a bottle. She lit a cigarette. Let me think. He's alive and safe, but that's not the man you're after. What, Slick? He's... Echo Metal One, codenamed Mercury. Her cheeks burned. You read my mind. I read everyone's mind. That's my job. Walter Slick is the question here. Yes, 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 where is he? The psychic paused. Street noise filled the air around them. Well, is that the right question? It is. I can give you an address. The easy men, right? What remains of the easy men? He will not be there long, I wager. Benjamin Franklin Hotline leaned over his open bucket and reached inside. The sound of sifting papers reached her ears. He never looked at the papers, but eventually the hand came up with the scrap. How appropriate, she thought. Here, he said. I strongly recommend you arrive there before 6 p.m. tonight. The address was unfamiliar. Osherfield, Georgia, in Irwin County. That made it two hours away by car. What happens at six? I can't answer that question without another payment. He stood and dropped the open bucket into the one he used for a seat. You're better served making haste. Right, right. Thanks. I don't require thanks. You paid for it. Then don't spend it all in one place. She winked at him and opened her cell as he hobbled away. She needed a team. And fast. <laughs>